We're going to begin this hour of the show by revisiting with a longtime local musician and recovery coach by the name of Scott Boink. You might remember at the height of the opioid crisis, he was one of the first to not only demand local venues and bars to stock Narcan kits, which are used for overdoses, but was training bartenders and wait staff to use those kits to save lives. He received a lot of media attention, including here on Culture Shift. You can actually check out that interview with Scott over at WDET.org. And we wanted to bring him back into the fold today to get a better idea of how those who are in addiction recovery are faring in the age of COVID. Joining me live in studio to continue the conversation with Scott Boink is our own Amanda LeClaire. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. And that is exactly right. With all of the increased stress, isolation, unemployment for many, and just the general tension and uncertainty we've all been facing since the pandemic began, it can be easy to forget that a lot of people here in Metro Detroit were already struggling with addiction or on that difficult path to recovery. And you add a global pandemic and uh, incredible political attention to the mix, and recovery has become that much more difficult. So on the line, as you said, is Scott Boink, a peer recovery coach here in Detroit. Scott, welcome to Culture Shift. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being here. So I want to get the number out there uh, for anyone to join the conversation. If you are in addiction recovery of any kind, What has life under COVID been like for you? Have things like social distancing and lockdown made it more difficult? Call us at 313-577-1019. We'd love to hear your stories. You can also uh, get some advice from Scott as well. 313-577-1019. So, Scott, I want to start off with the work you had been doing when we first spoke to you in 2018, uh, fighting the opioid epidemic. A lot of focus on that issue has kind of fallen by the wayside because, of course, COVID-19. So I want to get first a better picture of what's been happening with that crisis. How much of a problem, both nationally and especially here in Southeast Michigan, is it still? Well, you know, with the opioid crisis, what we're doing is we're seeing new challenges out there. Um, I get a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, from here and there that's shared through, through the company and uh, what we're seeing is uh, we're seeing new strains of uh, synthetic opioids out there, uh, some substance called brorphine, which has been showing up in heroin. They found new strains of heroin out there, like they call it a purple heroin. Um, and it's 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 uh, very dangerous stuff. It's really, really dangerous. Um, and then uh, on sort of like other fronts, one of the things that we had worried about a lot before when I was starting to work with the Narcan project a lot was that uh, we were seeing things like um, fentanyl showing up in uh, local batches of cocaine here and there. And when the when the lockdowns first happened and the borders got shut, um, supplies were uh, supplies were dwindled coming in and dealers were having a hard time pushing their products. And uh, what we started to see is an uptick in something that we hadn't seen as much of before, which is methamphetamine. So people were starting to um, push methamphetamine or they were, you know, just putting a bunch of stuff in a bag and selling it and calling it cocaine and calling it heroin or calling it whatever. And and I look at stuff like that and I wonder how anybody could possibly be more predatory. But it is what it is. And um, and and it's out there. So that's sort of what we've been seeing on those fronts is things have sort of just gotten a lot more dangerous. 
Yeah, so the drugs have gotten both uglier and just you don't know what you're getting at this point. Uglier is a really good way to put it. To put it, and uh, also, I mean, we're we're trying to stem the tide of um, the initial wave of sort of like disinformation and rumor that overtook everybody in the entire world when the pandemic first started. And the first wave of rumor that we had heard was that uh, it was. Uh, it was uh, people were unavailable to get treatment. You just couldn't go to you just couldn't go to treatment anymore. Everything was closed. And we would hear that from people that like, oh, I didn't think I had heard on social media that I, I couldn't get help or I couldn't or it was too hard to get help or that places were shut down and places weren't shut down. I mean, like like every every restaurant or every gym or every everything else, um, of course, they're running at diminished capacity right now to for social distancing. But um but everybody can still get treatment. I mean, I can later on in the interview drop a lot of phone numbers really fast. But um, but that was a big one was people just thinking that they couldn't get help or they couldn't go to an emergency room or they couldn't do anything about their situation. And that was false. So that was like the first thing was just trying to remind people that help was available. Yeah. And I want to get more into that. But we, we do have a caller on the line again. Th- th- 313-577-1019. We are talking to Scott Boink, a peer recovery coach here in Detroit, about how people who are in addiction recovery have been coping during uh, COVID. And on the line with us right now is Bud in Livonia. Hi, Bud. Hi there. How's it going? Hey, welcome to Culture Shift. So uh, you, you actually have a, something to say about uh, the access to drugs and how you've kicked addiction in the past, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I got over an opioid addiction a while ago, and more recently, I, I stick to things more similar to methamphetamines. Um, but you know, I've 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 been in the the drug culture in Detroit for a long, long time. Oh, and Scott, I really appreciate all the work you've done. You've literally saved people, you know, by having Narcan available on Hamtramck over the years. Uh, you you literally saved people that I know. So wow, I really thanks. appreciate that. Oh, and I love Hellmouth. But um, uh, all I wanted to say was that it's gotten easier to access harder drugs during this pandemic. And the isolation has made everyone I know that use drugs use more, you know, and, and, and not just uh, street drugs, but, but prescription drugs, whatever. It seems like people are isolated and using them like crazy. And it doesn't seem like there's many outlets right now. To, uh, to to shift the focus off of, you know, your yourself and your misery and, and, you know, what you feel like you need, self-medicating. Thank you so much for that call, Bud. And, Scott, yeah, I, want, I would love you to, to respond to Bud there, but th- that issue is is so huge is, is the isolation and the boredom that comes with lockdowns like we are about to get into again for the next three weeks. The isolation and the boredom is is uh, is just crushing for some people. And I mean, uh, there's been a gigantic focus to moving things to virtual to like instead of being able to go to, you know, uh, like an in-person recovery meeting like we could just a little while ago. Everything has shifted to virtual and everything has shifted to telehealth and you know, which is, it's great that people can still reach out and we can still talk to people. I still talk to people on the phone. Sometimes I talk to people over telehealth, but it's, um, it's, it's different than that, like in-person contact when you're sitting across from another person, looking them in the face, you know, and it's, um, that, uh, that lack of, of just, um, that lack of like actual physical human contact can really, um, 
can really dampen people's spirits. And then just the the sort of uh, general malaise about not being able to be out in the world and engage in the activities that you would normally engage in that let people blow off some steam. It 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 does push people toward, um, you know, it, it removes some of their outlets. And I, I, I mean, I, I hate to see it. I mean, I'm a musician and we're not, we're not playing. My, my bands are reduced to text chats, you know, trying to make sure everybody is still okay. But um, I just try to remind people that like everything, this is only temporary. This is temporary. Sure. We're not sure how long it's going to be, but it is temporary. Just like your cravings, you know, just like your problems, this is just temporary and there will be a light at the end of the tunnel at some point. Again, we're talking with Scott Boink, a peer recovery coach here in Detroit. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, if you're in any kind of addiction recovery or you have friends that are, uh, what has life been like for them under COVID or for yourself? Have these things like social distancing and lockdown made it a lot more difficult? You can join us at 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Uh, now, Scott, I, I think, you know, one of the other big issues, as we've been talking about, is is this the isolation. And if you are, uh, if you don't have a large, you know, close family and you're just sort of hunkering down by yourself, uh, it can be really hard for, for friends and family members to recognize the signs of somebody relapsing back into an addiction. So so what can friends and family do to see it and to, to help a person who's who's dealing with recovery? You know, I what what I would do, what I would tell people is to just keep monitoring that person and and notice anything that you can and changes in their moods or their habits, um, the same way that you would pre-pandemic. I mean, we we try to get to know people or, or understand how how they work, but um, I I would try to get people in touch with the system as quickly as possible and remind them that that help is available. I mean. You can do online meetings. AA.org is having meetings. Uh, Virtual-NA.org is having meetings. SmartRecovery.org is having meetings. And all emergency rooms are open. You can still get placed in treatment. But, I mean, it's going to... It's going to require a lot more dialogue since everything is is more over the phone. I would be very direct with people. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't try to beat around the bush the same way that that some people will. Uh, the same way that we would if we were talking about um, about something like suicide when we talk to people about um, about if they're making plans for, you know, an unfortunate thing like suicide, I would be direct with people and just say, hey, are you using again? Is there something that we should know about? Should we be working on a problem here? And then and then start going from there. And Scott, we're going to bring out another caller here in Jerry from Gross Point Farms. Jerry, welcome to Culture Shift. Hey, thank you very much for calling on me. Uh, my name is Jerry Wagner. I'm an alcoholic in recovery and an addict in recovery. Uh, celebrated 31 years uh, wow. last, last December. And uh, when I came out of treatment at Maple Grove, I started uh, going to NA. Narcotics Anonymous and AA Alcoholics Anonymous, but I tended to gravitate more towards Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I had a dual diagnosis of alcohol and cocaine at the time. But what I what I mainly wanted to talk about is is you know I ran a sober living program in Detroit called Sober Living House uh, Detroit, and for eight years, very successful 
program. We helped all kind of people. And one day the Detroit Building and Safety Department came around and they said we were running an illegal treatment center. And they told us that we had to kick the people out. And uh, they threatened us with $5,000 in fines. And it was just a horrible experience. My wife and I went down to the city to talk to some of the uh, people in authority down there in Detroit at Coleman Young Center. And they were totally unresponsive. And they said, we don't want that sort of thing uh, in our neighborhoods. Oh, it was very, very, very sad. And uh, a couple people since, uh, you know, that were there, uh, I had to place them in in places in East Point and other more friendly uh, locations, more friendly jurisdictions. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it it was just a very sad thing. Very sad. Jerry, what what year was this that you said that this happened at? uh, This happened about four or five years ago. Okay, so Scott, I have... Has the a conversation around addiction and helping folks, has that changed as far as, you know, things that the, the local governments are willing to do? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, actually. I wish I had a better answer for that. But it's, it's heartbreaking to hear what Jerry is talking about because uh, we really don't have enough places like sober living Um, It seems like sober living and halfway houses uh, are one of those things uh, that we just talk about like they're there. It's like homeless shelters. Like we're like, well, if you lose your place to live, you can just go to a homeless shelter. And I I hear people talk like this and I'm like, yeah, which one, you know, or where? And they they don't know because we're just so used to using these words that we assume that they just exist down every street. I mean, I live in Macomb County and we... We don't have nearly as many shelters as we really as we should or could have. And and definitely here in Wayne County, where I work, we could use so much more sober living housing. But I mean, it comes down to funding and it comes down to funding and it comes down to funding and it comes down to locations. So, I, I mean, if he was doing good and helping people, I hope he gets some rewards from that, you know, later on for sure and i'm sure he has in the past but it's heartbreaking to hear that a place was closed out of bureaucracy again we're talking to scott boink a peer recovery coach here in metro detroit about how those who are in addiction recovery treatment programs those who are uh, struggling with addiction are coping during COVID 19 313-577-1019 is the number to call if you'd like to join the conversation and scott we got another caller on the line i'd like to go to amanda in mount clemens i hi amanda hi how are you doing good so so you have been saying recovery during COVID has been a really strange path for you what's been happening it's been very very strange um so i work in the medical community so um i'm a medical assistant and I've had to go to work every day, but uh, there's a lot of people who their, you know, their businesses are shut down. And um, I, I just got my uh, seven-year chip two weeks ago, and uh, I, I've, I've been saying, you know, yes, we don't like the Zoom meetings, we don't like the telehealth things, but we have to stay in contact with each other. It's so important because there were a couple people I saw just since March that. You know, um, because of the no in-person AA and NA meetings, they committed suicide. Um, I know a few people that went back out. Some of them we can't get back, and uh, a couple of them are back. Amanda. And um, it's just, uh, it's, 
the, the COVID has really affected everything. And um, if anybody's out there, and I, I just, um, Scott, I, I just think it's awesome what you're doing. And um, I, I heard that guy say that because you handed out that Narcan, that saved his life. And I think that that's very, very awesome that you're doing that. Um, the recovery community thanks you very much for what you're doing. And, and uh, Jerry was right, you know, about the, the treatment centers and Scott, or the uh, sober living facilities. We don't have enough. There is not enough funding. So I just, um, my whole urge is to anybody who's seeking recovery or anyone who's in recovery, talk to your healthcare professional about it. Get help. Call the hotline. Get to a meeting. There is help out there. We do recover. We don't have to stay sick. We There is a huge world out there that uh, does not look at us like, you know, like it's a stigma. Amanda, so thank you so much for your call and, and, and your honesty here. I really appreciate it. And, Scott, I want to ask, so uh, as, as Amanda just said, you know, going to health care providers, what can employers do right now to understand some of the, the struggles that their employees are going through, especially those who are facing addiction issues? Well, I'm, I, I, oh, go ahead. I mean, Sorry. Oh, I, I think, uh, I mean, especially if you're laying people off, you, you might want to keep in contact with them. I think that everything right now is about contact. You know, I mean, we, we just have to keep close with people that, that we care about. And, um, and employers, yeah, I mean, if there's a change in the workforce, you might want to uh, just keep up with people about how they're feeling. Like, everything is about being direct right now. I mean, when the, when the pandemic first hit, I mean, I went from large amounts of, lar- we'll, we'll say X large amount of clients that I was in contact with, like, on March 13th and, and over, the, over the next um over the course of the next month, they're just dropping off. People just stop answering their phones and you don't know why you just, you just sort of like fear the worst. So I would just say that if, if there are people, if if you're an employer and you know that you're going to get, you're going to be coming out the other side of this or something, and you want to make sure all your employees are going to be there, check in with them often, 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 and be direct about it. You know, especially if you know that they have problems, you know, um, I mean, a lot of a lot of us have have worked in, or I have friends who work in, you know, fields where al- alcohol is definitely a thing. You know, um, I'm I'm no stranger to the bar scene, and in fact, I call many of those people family. Um, so, and I and I worry about their financial health, but more 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 their mental health and how they're dealing with with the uncertainty of how every. Everything is going to get through the other side. So I would be direct and I would call often and I would uh, just try to keep everybody on an even keel and remember that this is this is temporary. And uh, we're going to wrap up the conversation in just a minute here. And Scott, I, I know I know it's also been hard for you and other uh, recovery coaches to not be able to have those face to face interactions with your clients and the people that you've been trying to help uh, throughout this pandemic. It, it has been. Um, I I love it. And and what I do is at the um, what I do is sort of like at the intervention end. So I would get a call from a hospital social worker. And, and if 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 you met me out in the field, you were probably in the emergency room. You were having the worst day of your life. And I was, you know, a weirdo that showed up at the foot of your bed to talk to you about change. And hopefully we could, you know, get some sort of relationship going. 
And I and it and it's hard and unsatisfying maybe for both of us when when that gets replaced by um I'm just a voice on the phone, you know? And um and I wish it wasn't so, but I, I like everybody else am waiting, you know, for the for the moment to come when we can do better help. I mean, we're talking to hospitals about about, you know, we talk about telehealth options and there's some um barriers with that with you know administrative and there there's some barriers with that as they don't have the technology and there's some barriers and we're, we've been trying to overcome you know all of this to make it to make it easier but um i yeah i i i can't wait until it's you know back out in the field looking at looking at humans again and 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 knowing that there, that there's a difference being made and when I do, when I am able to talk to somebody and they get some sort of success out of things, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very enriching, you know. And, and as we wrap up, uh, besides the connection, calling, Zoom calls, uh, whatever it is that, that someone who is in the early stages of addiction recovery can do to know they're not alone. Are there other things like, uh, you know, as we all do right now, mindfulness exercises, going on walks, those sort of things that you would suggest Oh, a- absolutely. Um, stay busy. If you have an interest or a hobby, um, go full bore. You know, like absolutely. All the being cooped up is is not good for us. And we've we've got to keep busy and we've got to keep our mind moving. And we've got to be able to self-distract away from our uh, more dangerous urges. So I would tell people to run at anything that they're interested in and communicate with those around them as much as possible. Well, thank you so much, Scott Boink, a peer recovery coach here in Metro Detroit. This is 1019 WDET. Culture Shift is the show. Lots coming up. Ryan Patrick Cooper will be right back with the roundup. This is WDET.